0: Stand with me, Sid, and stand with WABC as we honor those who protect and serve. ThinBlueLineUSA.com. Once again, use the code word SID. So while... Most of the stuff me and Bernie talk about this morning and every morning is depressing, not baseball, not in New York. It's been, a, uh, it's been a great summer so far. Our next guest is a guy that spent 17 years covering the New York Yankees for the New York Daily News. He's now a big star at MLB.com. But he'd admit that the best work he ever did was as my weekly Yankee reporter down at 640 sports in Pompano Beach Florida many years ago here he is the great baseball guy back on Bernie and Sid Mark Bings and good morning Mark
1: good morning gentlemen how you doing
0: Good to have you, pal. Good, uh, congratulations. Uh, my book I just talked about coming out this summer. Yours is out, and you've uh, written great baseball books before, Mark. This is your best work. It's entitled The Franchise, New York Yankees' A Curated History of the Bronx Bombers. I know you got Joe Torre to actually do the forward, which is uh, really, really good. I mean, really good. And I do want to discuss uh, one of the things you talked about in the book, and that's the core four. And uh, you say in the book that for some reason people always forget Bernie Williams. They don't forget Mariana Rivera. They don't forget Derek Jeter, Pettit. But for some reason, they always forget Bernie Williams. Now, me and Bernie love Bernie Williams. Why is that the case?
1: Well, I think it was just a case of bad timing for Bernie that the core four name uh, was developed and, and sort of created in 2009 when that group of four of Posada and Jeter, Pettit, and Rivera were going for their their fifth title, and those are the four guys remaining from the dynasty. Uh, Bernie had been retired for three years at that point, but Bernie uh, knows that you know that, that nobody's really slighting him when they leave him out of the core four conversation. As a matter of fact, he gets brought up more often when the core four conversation comes up than anybody else, of why isn't he in there? Uh, so he actually looks at it as uh, he's, he's almost an unofficial member because uh, you know if people are bringing his name up all the time, that means he must have done something right along the way.
2: Mark Feinstein on the Bernie and Sid show, maybe they should uh, have something like the Jive Five so they could uh, include him. <laughs> That's good. You know, you, could, uh, for you you just can't add somebody else. But either way, Mark Feinstein, listen, you write also about uh, Hal Steinbrenner. How is uh, Hal's, uh, you know, managerial or how how is he different from his dad, George? Let's put it that way.
1: Well, I, I think Hal is, uh, you know, unapologetic in saying that he is a different person, different personality than his father was, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, George had success with those teams in the 90s and, and, you know, at the beginning with the Bronx Zoo, but there was a lot of bad years in between there. Uh, let's also not forget how Steinbrenner is playing a completely different game than his father did uh, in terms of the, you know, sort of spending rules that are in place and the penalties that are in place and, uh, you know, not to mention the fact that every other team out there also has a ton of money, so uh, you know George used to be able to just flex his financial might, sort of you know swing that hammer, and all of a sudden he had whatever free agent he wanted. That's not how the game works now. We've seen, you know, we've seen the San Diego Padres hand out two three hundred million dollar contracts. So having money isn't enough to be a winning organization. Uh, Hal understands that, and I think he's put a good infrastructure in place underneath him with Brian Cashman and everybody else to uh, you know to be successful whether they're the, the top spending team or not.
0: Mark Feinstein, the book is the franchise New York Yankees, a curated history of the Bronx Bombers. But even when George was there, he was not able to get everybody. You know, we got Reggie. That was a big deal for the 1976 season. But, for example, he really wanted Greg Maddox, and Maddox picked the Braves over the Yankees. And then he really wanted Mike Mussina after Baltimore, and Mussina really didn't want to come here. I mean, they took him to houses out in Jersey. They wined and dined him, and eventually they did convince Mike Musina to become a Bronx Bomber, and he had some big years here with the Yankees. But that was not an easy task to get Musina here. What does Mike talk about as it turned out?
1: Yeah, I sat down with Mike uh, in his hometown of Montoursville, Pennsylvania, for a few hours for this interview, Uh, and he was pretty candid. He he admitted the idea of playing in New York was not appealing to him, but that was mainly because his experience in New York was as a visiting player staying either in Times Square or by Grand Central, and that's all he knew. And he didn't know about... Uh, some of these suburbs. And, and the Yankees put the, the full court press on him uh, right after the World Series ended in 2000. Yep. Joe Torre called him before he even went on vacation, right after the parade, called him to say, you know, we want you here. And that really that really stuck with Mussina. He said, you know, he said to Joe, why are you calling me? Shouldn't you be like on an island somewhere? Uh, and, and that was how important it was. And obviously Mussina ended up coming to New York. And, uh, you know, he and Jason Giambi fall into that category of, uh, sort of spending their entire lengthy Yankees careers in between championship teams, right? They, they won in 2000, Messina gets here in 01, Giambi gets here in 02. They, w- they both leave after 08, and the Yankees win in 09, but Messina has no regrets over that. He knows how close they were, and, you know, some things fall your way, some things don't, but uh, all of it ended up with him in the Hall and of Fame. And so he,
0: he, he did play on two World Series teams, albeit losing teams 2001 to Arizona and 2003 to the Florida Marlins
1: correct that he had some wonderful postseason moments in those years uh you know certainly 2003 that that three innings of relief that he pitched in in game seven was uh, as important as anything else that happened in that game right up until Aaron Boone hit his home
2: run Mark are you impressed with my uh, partner's uh, recall capacity <laughs> I mean he oh, knows everything he knows all stats facts <laughs> obscure and uh, you, you know famous as well Uh, Anyway, I
1: need help. I call Sid. (laughs) He he
2: really is amazing. Uh, Hey, listen, Mark. Let me ask you about you write about Paul O'Neill as well. They're going to retire his number. I mean, uh, the move from Cincinnati to New York was not only career changing for him, but it was life changing. And I believe you write about that. And in fact, I know you do. Tell us about it, please.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. O'Neill won a World Series in Cincinnati. You know, he's a Cincinnati kid. He grew up there. This was sort of the dream to be playing at home and uh... and knowing that you know you you were having this kind of success and they traded him to the Yankees for Roberto Kelly. That trade was not popular in New York. Roberto Kelly had been an all-star. He was a younger player, uh, looked at as, you know, one of the future sort of, you know, he was he was supposed to be one of those guys they looked at in the core uh, that they eventually had. But they traded him for Paul O'Neill. Gene Michael saw something in him and, and said, look, we don't want you to be a home run hitter. We want you to be a hitter. And obviously he was. He won a batting title, had a fantastic career with the Yankees. And... Uh, you know, he became essentially a New Yorker after uh, growing up in Ohio playing with the Reds. And like you said, they're retiring his number this year. I mean, who can forget his final game at Yankee Stadium, Game 5 of the World Series in 2001. He had the entire stadium chanting his name. And you bring that up to him now, and he still gets emotional thinking about it because that was, uh, it was an overwhelming moment for him and really a moment that expressed sort of what a guy who was not a homegrown guy uh, meant to this fan base.
0: What a book, my God. Mark Feinstein, the franchise, New York Yankees, a curated history of the Bronx Bombers, forward by Joe Torre. You have to go get this book. It just sounds amazing. By the way, a lot of these guys also didn't want to come to New York because the last thing they wanted to hear driving to the stadium in the afternoon are morons like Mike Brancesso, Chris Russo, Sid Rosenberg, and Joe Boningo bashing them for having a bad night the night before. Just trust me. Uh,
1: <laughs> I was, was going to step back there until you included your own name. So
0: at least you're, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. right, right. Uh, let's get to this uh, modern-day Yankee club. Mark, I'm on the way to the stadium tonight with my beautiful wife, Danielle. Yankees, 30 games over 500. They match their street in 1973 winning 13 straight home games and what we've seen out of Aaron Judge so far this year he's on pace of one of the greatest seasons not just in Yankee history but MLB history already with 25 home runs he's got a big payday coming how much do you think the Yankees are have to divvy up to uh, uh, Aaron Judge and do you think they'll pay him before the end of the season
1: uh, they won't pay him before the end of the season because I don't think they're going to allow
0: this guy to go to free agency and become a Los Angeles I Dodger. I
1: don't. I don't think they have a choice at this point. He said uh, before the season, if it wasn't done by the season, he was going to, you know, not negotiate during the year. Now, look, they can call his agent and say, yeah, here's four hundred million, and the agent would say, hey, Aaron, I think we should talk. But I don't think that's the way this is going to go down. I think he'll go to free agency, knowing that. The Yankees have the ability to pay him if they want to. Uh, I think he's worth more to the Yankees on a long-term deal than anybody else just because of the uh, the brand and the face of the franchise and the popularity of the fan base. Uh, you know, you go to L.A. and you're you're joining a team with a bunch of other stars. You go to San Francisco and, uh, you know, who knows what happens there. Um, you know, the one most interesting team to me that's going to be in this mix is the Mets because – Steve Cohen has the money to get anybody he wants, and wouldn't that be something for him to go take the Yankees' best player away from them? Uh, So that could be a really interesting sort of side story in this offseason. But, Judge, you know, I think a lot of people thought he was crazy for turning down seven years, $213 million extension uh, at his age, going, you know, in his age 30 season. Uh, But it certainly seems like the bet that he placed on himself, at least uh, through 60 games, is certainly paying off.
2: Mark Feinstein on the Bernie and show. Mark, you also uh, well, you, you, you write about a lot of things, but I want to ask you about a situation that occurred recently with the Yankees, and that would involve uh, Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson. Of course, uh, Josh was uh, well; he was reprimanded by the league, uh, and uh, he was. Aaron Boone kind of backed him up. Aaron Judge, not so much. Uh, what do you make of that? He, it, For people who don't know, he called uh, Tim Anderson Jackie, who had referred to himself as Jackie Robinson in the past, and he was called a racist for it. And your, your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I thought it was a misunderstanding of sorts. I know people have killed Josh Donaldson for it. I, I don't have a problem with people killing him for it. <clears throat> you know, I, I think the fact that Anderson had... Done that interview with SI, Uh, Donaldson claims one thing, Anderson kind of claims another. This is sort of a he said, he said thing. Uh, I think the whole thing is is, uh, the fact that we're still talking about it is sort of amazing to me. Um, But, you know, look, I I think uh, Anderson is certainly entitled to believe anything he wants. Donaldson has his story that he's swearing by and sticking to. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be a situation where we really know the truth for sure.
0: Well, we are talking about it now because Donaldson just served that suspension literally two days ago. Mark Bynesand is here. Now, you cover all of Major League Baseball, not just the Yankees, even though this great book is about the Yanks. I had Mike Francesa on this show last Tuesday, who's one of the biggest Yankee fans ever live. And uh, he says as, as great as the Yankees are playing, he thinks the more dangerous team here in New York, maybe the Mets. And, oh, my God, just imagine when they get back Jacob DeGrom, if they do, and Max Scherzer, just how good they could be even then. What about Mike Frances' contention? You agree?
1: I do agree. Actually, I was talking to somebody about this the other day that, you know, everybody's getting excited about a Subway Series. This would be a very different Subway Series than the one we saw in 2000 because I think the Mets actually might be favored. Um, Even if the Yankees wind up with a better record, you go into a short series – Uh, You know, seven-game series where you can throw Scherzer and Degrom four, maybe five times. Uh, That's you know, the Yankees are going to have trouble combating that in terms of the starting pitching. As great as the starting pitching has been for the Yankees, and don't get me wrong, it's been incredible. And that was my biggest question mark for this team coming into the year: uh, who was going to step up behind Cole? They all have, and actually, Cole I think has the worst ERA on the staff, amazingly. But Scherzer and Degrom are a different animal, and. I, now, this is all under the caveat that they 're healthy and pitching the way that they're uh, you know have traditionally pitched, but if they are and they do i, I don 't know how anybody's going to beat the Mets in a short series if those guys are at the top of their game so uh, it could be a pretty fascinating summer into fall in new york um, you know we 've seen the best team in the league not get to the World Series many many times, so uh, there 's a lot of work for both teams to do before we can talk about a subway series. the Mets have to. Figure out a way for you know. I guess I'll have to wait until they play Atlanta to try to let Atlanta lose a game for the first time. In uh, huh. fact that that series, that division's down to four games, is pretty unbelievable. Uh, but it took a 14-game winning streak to get there. You know, Atlanta's not going to win every game the rest of the year, I don't think. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the Yankees are a really, really good team. Here's how good they are: if they play 500 ball the rest of the season, they'll have 96 wins. Wow.
2: Wow, the rich just keep getting richer. Hey, Mark Feinstein, that was a great job out of you. The book is a franchise, and uh, we we appreciate you appearing on the Bernie and Sid show.
1: My pleasure, fellas. Anytime.
0: Excellent job. Thank you, uh, Mark Bynes and there. And uh, as Bunny just pointed out again, the book is uh, a great little history of the Yanks. The franchise, New York Yankees, uh, the curated history uh, dating all the way back and certainly those great Joe Torre teams that won four World Series. The Yanks, by the way, have not won a World Series since 2009. Joe Girardi just fired by the Philadelphia Phillies two weeks ago, the last manager to win a World Series for the Yankees, now going on 13 years. The Mets, by the way, It's been 36 years.